Welcome to the Gateway Scottsdale audio podcast. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through his word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewayscottsdale.tv. Now, let's tune in for this week's message. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. We are concluding a series. If this is your first time here, we're wrapping up a series entitled Needy by Design, where we've been looking at the fact that God created us as human beings to be needy. Now, some of you are not good at embracing that. You have been taught, you've been told that if you're needy, you're weak. That's not true. If you're needy, you're human. God made you to have needs. And it helps to know what those needs are so that you can make sure you're getting what God created you to need so that you can do what God created you to do. Now, in this series, we've been taking a look at the the six major areas of life and the pillars that God created us to build our lives around and upon as it relates to each of those areas. So uh, for the last month and a half, we've walked through the spiritual area of your life. We've walked through the emotional area area of your life. We walk through the physical area of your life. We walk through the emotion, uh, the relational area of your life. Last week, we walked through the financial area of your life. This week, we are talking about the professional area of your life. And I know that the second some of you hear that word, you automatically think, oh, well, I, I don't really have a profession. I'm a stay-at-home parent. Okay. Let me just say at the beginning of this message, uh, this is complete um, transparency, all right? I needed the word to rhyme with the other five. So think about this. I couldn't say the spiritual area, the emotional area, the physical, relational, financial, and calling. It just doesn't roll off your tongue the same way. But what we're really talking about is your calling, not your profession. And let me say this. If you are a stay-at-home parent, please for one moment, because listen, there's a difference between vocation and calling. Vocation is something I am compensated for. Calling is something I'm created for. Calling is always a bigger deal than vocation. And if you're a stay-at-home parent and you've convinced yourself, you, you watch some of your peers and they go into the workplace and you have judged yourself and what God's called you to do as being less than because you're not compensated to do it. Let me tell you something. What you do is as important or more important than what anybody else does in the workplace. Please, what God has put in front of you, if that is your, one of your primary callings in this world, in this season of your life, is to raise your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. There is nothing bigger you can do, all right? So just because you're not paid to do it, you don't get a check every two weeks to take care of your kids. All you keep getting is stinky, dirty diapers. You just keep blessing. You keep pouring all of yourself into the calling that God has for you in this season of your life. All right, so in this message, we are gonna talk a little bit about vocation, but this message really isn't about vocation because your vocation can change. Your job can change. What you do for a living can change. 
I could be fired today from this job, in this vocation. And I can tell you what I would do. I may not go back into vocational ministry, but I go to a golf course. I'd be a greenskeeper. They give me four holes. I get to work at about five every morning. I'd get off at about two. And those four holes would be the four best mowed holes in the state of Arizona. I'd pick my kids up from school. I'd pour my life into them. I'd probably lead a life group every week for the rest of my life because that's what God made me to do. It's teach and preach the word. That's my calling. So it doesn't matter what my vocation is. All right? So don't get it twisted. Some of you are in a vocation today that has very little to do with your calling tomorrow. It's just a season. All right? Now, let me say this about this message. Uh, and you're not, the, the book would say, the preacher's hand guide would say, don't ever say this to the people, okay? In my opinion, this is the weakest message of the whole series. All right? And I'm gonna tell you why. I battled through it last night. This week, I battled through studying this message. I mean, truthfully, it was, it was horrid. I really struggled this week. And I hate to admit this, uh, I'm doing a series the week after Easter on Revelation and end times. And I probably studied, my wife would probably say more, but at a very minimum, I studied between 40 and 50 hours this week for that series that isn't for months, uh, but it's the kind of series you have to be prepared for. I was really excited to be studying that. I was not as excited to be studying this. And, and last night after the message, uh, I, I was saying to the Lord on the drive home, this is excruciating to me. Like I am, this is not my sweet spot. Teaching on uh, profession and calling, it's, I, I just, I feel inept. This is not good. I, don't, I didn't like this message. I didn't like studying for this message, but I know you asked me to teach on it. And, and this morning, he didn't answer me last night. He just kind of let it sit. You ever feel like God lets it sit just a little bit? And this morning, he kind of answered. Uh, I thought I was the problem as I fell asleep last night. I woke up this morning and I, I felt like the Lord very graciously said, Preston, it, it's very simple. You don't understand. And I said, Lord, what, what don't I understand? He said, listen, you settled in your heart by the time you were 14 years old, what I created you to do on this earth. And that's not the case with everyone else. It doesn't make anybody who doesn't settle it by the time they're 14 bad or worse than me. And it does, definitely doesn't make me better. That's just my story. In God's grace, he made it very obvious what he put me on this earth to do by the time I hit 13, 14 years old. So it's hard for me. I settled this 25 years ago. So it's hard for me to, to really wrap my mind around this, uh, and, and I'm, I'm confessing it. And I, I'm trying to, to uh, understand. I'm trying to be empathetic, but I, but I don't understand. And I've got to be able to say that, okay? So if you walk out of this and you go, I, I think that's the worst message of the year. Know this, I agree with you. <laughs> okay? Uh, but secondarily, know this, the Holy Spirit always speaks. If God can speak through a donkey, he can speak through this message. So here's what I'd ask you to do. Press in and ask the Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? about my calling, about my season, about my circumstances and situation, all right? Now, we're gonna walk through some scripture, obviously, but I, I wanna show you in Genesis chapter two, I wanna go all the way back to the beginning. Last week, we talked about the fact that God, he loves order, and 
firsts are important to God. We talked about the first fruit last week. Well, this week, let's go all the way back to the first man, the first woman, as we talk about calling, as we talk about God giving each of us a unique assignment on this earth. Let's go all the way back to the beginning with Adam and Eve, and let's see if the order that God lays out is in fact a divine order or if it's just a coincidence, all right? Genesis chapter two, starting in verse eight. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. Skip down to verse 15. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. Now skip down to verse 22. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. Okay, verses eight and nine, verse 15, verse 22. Look at the divine order that God establishes for mankind. First, he creates man's workplace. He creates Adam's workspace, the Garden of Eden. Then we go down to verse 15, and he says, here's your responsibility. Here is your assignment. It's to tend to this garden and watch over it. Then we go down to verse 22, and God says, okay, I've given you your workplace. I've given you your work. Now I'm going to give you your wife. Okay, so let me speak to the millennials. Now, this message is as much for the millennials as anybody else, all right? And, and I don't usually do this because every message, the Holy Spirit will speak to everyone. But millennials, I especially need you to tune into this message, all right? It, let me use my daughter as an example, all right? She's 14. Let's just say a young man comes to her. And this is a prophetic statement to the, the young man who will pursue my daughter to be his wife one day, okay? He needs to listen to this message. We're going to save this. We're going to put it on the website, on the front page, and just leave it there for the next 10 years, all right, uh, to Riley's future husband. And people are going to be like, what? L- let, me, let me say this. If you come to me and have the guts to ask for my daughter's hand in marriage to take her as your wife and you don't know your work, I'm gonna shut you down so fast it's gonna make your head spin. Here's why. Because God is a God of order. And you don't start to take benefits without sowing into the system first. God says, Adam, here you go, workplace. Here you go, assignment. Here's your work. Here you go, here's your helpmate. Okay, millennials. Let me talk to the young men just for a minute. Some of you have changed your major four times since you've started college. Don't feel guilt or condemnation. But hear this. You need to settle why God put you on this earth before you start trying to bring a helpmate into the conversation. You have no right to confuse someone else until you settle this in your heart, what God put you on this earth to do. Do not jump ahead. Yes, marriage is the fun part. Now, some people who've been married 30 years in here are going, I'm not so sure about that all the time. (laughs) Shh, lie to them. I'm kidding. You can't jump to the fun part 
without doing the obedient part first. Settle in your heart why God put you here on this earth, what he created you to do, and he says to Adam, here's the order, workplace, work, wife, okay? Now, Jeremiah chapter one, you don't need to turn there, but I wanna show you, this is gonna kind of help calibrate the way God looks at us, all right? And I just made the statement that you were uniquely created to do something unique. Now, you may do the same thing as the person sitting next to you, but God created you uniquely, which means he designed you to do it in a way they cannot do it, all right? Jeremiah chapter one, listen to what God says to Jeremiah. Chapter one, verse four. The Lord gave Jeremiah this message. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were even born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. Okay, this is really important to understand. Before God even created you, he created a special place for you to have a special anointing that only he could give. This is your calling. This is your calling. This is not your vocation. This is your calling, all right? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 speaks to us, not just to Jeremiah. It says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. All right? So before God even created you, he created a place for you, but he also created you to do some things. He created some things to be done by you that will not be done by anybody else. All right? So as we walk through these three pillars that I'm gonna give you related to your calling, these are some things you need to see in your everyday life related to your calling and your vocation, all right? So here's point number one, and before I give it to you, let me say this, if you're here today and you'd say, I'm killing it in this area of my life, I'm doing a great job in this area, feeling great, doing an awesome job in my profession, Know my calling, I'm doing great. Okay, if that's you, point number one is especially for you, all right? Because you're already convincing yourself, I don't need to listen to this message, and Preston already said it's the worst one of the year, so I'm out. Okay, no, point number one is for you. Here's the first pillar. God created us to build our lives around and upon as it relates to our individual, unique calling and also our vocation. Point number one, obedience. Obedience. Now, this is something, when we talked about the physical body, some people think, well, this is my body. Well, we established that scripture says your body is not your body if you're a believer in Jesus Christ because God paid the price, the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, for your body, and now your body no longer belongs to you but to him, okay? In the same way that many people say my body, they also say my job. This is my job. It's mine, okay? Well, let's just briefly take a look at this uh, error. God is sovereign. When we talk about the sovereignty of God, many believers just think, oh, well, he, he's over all things. You know, he's above all, he's before all, he's beneath none. That's what it means that God is sovereign. No, 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 that's not all that God's sovereignty means. The sovereignty of God means he is in total control. Okay, Romans chapter 11 says it this way. All things are from him, through him, and to him. That's what Romans chapter 11, verse 36 says. All things are from him, through him, and to him. Okay, if God is in control of all, why would I run around calling it my job? 
it's not my job. It's actually his assignment for me. There's a big difference. That's not just semantic. My calling is God's assignment for me. Your calling is God's assignment for you. Here's what that means. Obedience is crucial to you fulfilling your calling. Luke chapter 22, verse 42. What does it mean? I'm going to read you what Jesus says here in a minute in the Garden of Gethsemane. But what does it mean to be obedient in your calling? There's a very simple answer. That you see your calling the same way Christ sees his. That's what it means to be obedient in your calling. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 22, verse 42. You know this part of the story. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane on his journey towards the cross. He says, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. I want your will to be done, not mine. Okay, when you go to work, who gets their way more often? God or you? Well, Preston, I don't think God really cares how I flip burgers at Burger King. Oh, yes, he does. Why would you say that, Preston? Because you're the one flipping them. Does he care about flipping burgers? No, not literally. Does he care about flipping burgers when you're flipping burgers? 100% he does. Does he care about flipping burgers when you're flipping burgers, standing next to someone he sent his son to die for? A million percent he cares about flipping burgers. He cares. And sometimes we get so into the monotony of vocation that we forget our calling in every season, no matter the vocation, is intertwined with our vocation. My calling is God's assignment for me. And obedience plays an important role. Jesus took this to the nth degree, of course, because he was perfect. Look at how far he takes obedience related to his calling. John chapter 12, verse 49. Jesus said, I don't even speak on my own authority. The Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. Okay, really quickly, what would it look like if every day you went into your workplace and you only said what God told you to say, and you said it exactly the way he told you to say it. Well, President, God doesn't care about my presentation. We've already established that he does, because you're making it. He cares about you. He cares about everything that you do. Who speaks more in your workplace? You or the Holy Spirit working through you? You realize that the goal of of being a believer at work is not to take Jesus to work with you, right? It's not like, oh, you wake up every morning, today is bring Jesus to work with me today. No, no, no. The goal is not to bring Jesus to work with you. The goal is to allow the Holy Spirit to work through you so the work God has given to you will be accomplished according to his will. That's the goal. Now, what happens if you start to make decisions. If you kind of get off the fence and, and I'm not going to obey in this area because I've really done well for a season in my workplace. And so I, 
I kind of feel the Lord saying do this, but I, I want to do this. And so I'm going to do this for a little while. I'm just going to make this decision. Let me show you in Scripture what happens related to your calling when you start to decide things that are contrary to the will of God. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. This is the story of King David. Watch, watch every word very closely. In the spring of the year, 2 Samuel 11, verse 1. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Okay, when kings are supposed to go out to war, who was the king? David. David makes a decision not to go out to war. He sends Joab. They win. It looks like a great success. But watch what happens in verse 2. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. And we all know what happens next. David's mistake with Bathsheba started by making a decision to do his own thing related to his calling. And this is the kind of thing that happens when I decide what's best for the church. This is my vocation. When I decide what's best for me in this church good things are typically not going to happen. Listen, the goal is to allow the Holy Spirit to work through me so that I can do the work God's given to me according to his will. All right, obedience is an essential part of your calling. Don't just do the work. Do not go to work and just do your work. Go to work and do the will of God. That's your calling. Here's the second pillar, and this is probably a little bit more for the younger people. The second pillar. This is for all of us, but I especially want millennials to hear this. Apprenticeship. Apprenticeship, being mentored, is an important part of growing in your calling. Now, the Greek word for disciple is mathetes, and it means a student or a learner. But the Aramaic word for disciple means apprentice. Okay, now there's a difference between a student and an apprentice. A student is given to theory. An apprentice is giving to practice. When Jesus calls the disciples, he's not calling the disciples to be learners only. He calls them to be practicers. And let me show it to you. He makes it very obvious. He says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus says to his disciples, come, follow me, and I will show you. I'm not just going to teach you. I'm going to show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets and at once followed him. In John chapter 13, verse 15, when Jesus is washing the feet of the disciples, he does not start off his speech and say, you want to know how to impress really important people in the room? Take their shoes and socks off and begin to wash their feet. 
They'll be so impressed by your humility, the fact that you're willing to touch their rank, stank, ugly feet. I hate feet. If you expect me to wash your feet, it's never going to happen. Figuratively, I do it in prayer all the time, but literally, I just can't. I'm sorry. I mean, when, uh, I'm not even going to go there, all right? <laughs> it, it took me 12 years to even love my wife's feet. So uh, She's like, I have beautiful feet. I'm like, no one has beautiful feet. I'm sorry. I, I, every time I... I'm, Incidentally, this is why we have a no sandal policy at this church. I'm just kidding. I'm playing. Jesus, when he's washing the feet of his disciples, he makes a really important statement that I think we just read right past. Remember, as Christ followers, we're not just following him directionally. We're following his lead in every area of our lives. And look what he says. In John chapter 13, verse 15, after washing their feet, Jesus said, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Do as I have done to you. Okay, let me just speak for a moment about all of us needing to adopt the posture of an apprentice. No matter how old you are, there is someone who has gone further than you, who has done more than you, who is presently doing what you are called to do in a slightly different way, and you could learn much from them. And here's one of the things I, I try and remind people. I, I think that, that many who come to this church think that Brad's goofy, uh, you know, meet and greet questions, are, it's just kind of a silly time to just, you know, it's, it's what do we do in between worship and the message? Well, let's just have people ask a silly question about glow-in-the-dark toenails or whatever the question was today. Listen, there's a purpose. There's a really big purpose, and we try and make it easy. Here's my heart during this time, and this is something I pray for each weekend, that young people would turn around, and they would be introduced to someone 30, 40, even 50 years older than them, that God created them to cross paths with, that can help them step into the calling God has for them. My dream, this is a dream, all right? My dream is that every service we ever have, that at least 10% of the people who meet during meet and greet grab coffee or lunch in the next 30 days. It would be amazing. And listen, if, if I were not pastoring this church and I were just sitting out in the middle of the crowd, here's something that I would do. I would be so annoying to people with gray hair in the meet and greet, if I was sitting in a, in a group of my peers, I would ditch them like a bad habit during meet and greet. And I would go connect with older people and just see if the Holy Spirit says anything. This is someone you could learn a lot from. Not because they're, they're uber successful or have to be a CEO. Listen, you can learn something from everybody on the earth if you'll adopt the posture of an apprentice. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I can only learn from pastors. We have some people in this church who are better at pastoring than I am. My wife is better at pastoring than I am. I can learn from anybody. Okay, now here's something I hear from younger people all the time. Well, Preston, I don't have someone in my life who's mentoring me. 
I don't have anybody who's really pouring into me and I, I just don't have what you have with Pastor Robert, da, 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 but I'm praying for it and I'm waiting for it and I'm believing God for it. Okay, let me just end that little inner debate that you're having right now. That's a you problem, not a them problem. You live in the information age. Let me say this. I have some people who mentor me that I have never met in my life. I've read most of their books. I watch the bulk of their teachings online and on YouTube. I couldn't live outside the information age. I am mentored by some amazing people that will never, I'll probably never get to meet. Theologically, I'm mentored by people who aren't even alive anymore. Person, I'm just waiting for the person. No, you're waiting for them to sweep you off your feet and make your calling easier for you. That's what you're waiting for. Stop waiting for a person. Become proactive. Show yourself to be a good steward by learning everything you can. One of my favorite stories about Pastor Robert, who is one of my mentors. Years ago, he said, I, I love Dr. Jack Hayford, I love him. I think his teaching is phenomenal. I think his theology is incredible. I think his heart for pastoring, shepherding is off the charts and, and incomparable. I want to be mentored by him. And so he got every sermon CD from Jack Hayford. And I remember when the church first started back in Dallas, we would drive somewhere, we were going somewhere, it took about two hours. We listened to two of Pastor Jack's sermons on the way and two on the way back. I mean, the man was ruthlessly devoted to being mentored by someone he hadn't met yet. People look now and go, well, Jack Hayford is one of the apostolic elders of Gateway Church in Dallas, and he's a, a spiritual father to Pastor Robert. Listen to me closely, young people. Long before they ever met, Jack Hayford was mentoring Robert Morris. You don't need to wait for someone to come knock on your door. You just need to go after anything related to your calling. Go grab the information. Become an apprentice. And for those of you, young or old, who say, well, I don't have a person in my life. You know, I, I wish I had a person. Listen, humans are not the only people that we sit as apprentices under. The Holy Spirit. We sit under the leadership and guidance of the Holy Spirit. John 14, verse 26. But when the Father, Jesus says, sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. The Holy Spirit is a perfect guide and a perfect teacher. And listen to me closely. Jesus was not raising up his disciples to be students who only thought in terms of theory. He raised up his disciples not just to carry on what he was doing during his three years of ministry on the earth, he raised those disciples up as apprentices to do even greater works than he did. That's good mentorship right there. Everybody needs great mentors. Some of the mentors in my life, I know. Some of them, I don't. They don't know me. But I know a lot about them, and they've spoken into my life a ton. And you benefit. You have benefited from each of them. Now, here's the third thing, and, and this one's kind of a forgotten one related to our calling and our vocation. Point number three, fruit. Fruit. This is a quickie. It's really simple. Back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. 
They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, and all the wild animals on the earth. Incidentally, this is the passage I claim every time I go hunting, right there. Lord, you've given me dominion over these monster muleys. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Okay, now we, especially when we're younger, we use this as this passage, we quote almost as a joke uh, to uh, open the doors of physical intimacy with our spouse. It's the command of God, be fruitful and multiply. It's that time, baby. It's be fruitful and multiply time. Okay, listen, we're called to multiply. Yes, he says fill the earth, but he also says govern it. Be fruitful with it. Do something with what I've given you. He doesn't just say multiply. He says be fruitful. Now, there's a difference between success and fruit. And here's the biggest difference. Success is something that worked. Fruit is something that lasts. Success is something that worked. But fruit is something that lasts. Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 16, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. Lasting fruit. I didn't appoint you to be a success. Success isn't bad, but not all success has eternal benefit. He says, I appointed you as my apprentices to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. My oldest son, Tyler, is a bit of a pleaser, and he is the child, much like I was, uh, where every game he plays, he looks up into the stands to see if I notice what he did, okay? So he steals the base, and he looks into the crowd, and he's like, you know, that kind of deal. It's, it's very sweet. But he, much as I have in my past and still from time to time do, battles with insecurity. And so what he wants is he wants to be praised every time he does something good on the baseball field or the basketball court. And he started to learn, I mean, we, we'll, we'll cheer him. You know, success on the field will get a cheer out of me. But fruit in your life will get praise out of me. There's a difference. My son started to learn that when he started to make God-honoring decisions in his life, that I was 10 times more ecstatic as his father over a God-honoring decision than I was when he hit a home run. Why? Because I'm teaching him, son, you can't take your career with you, but you will take your choices and your character with you. I'm not bad-mouthing careers. I have a career. I love my career. Careers aren't bad. But being successful in a career does not guarantee being fruitful in eternity. Jesus said, I appointed you to be fruitful, to produce lasting fruit. What's the difference between success and lasting fruit? Success involves something. Fruit involves souls. People. I have a friend. We've been friends for many years. He was in the service last night for several decades of his life. 
he was unbelievably successful in business. Wildly successful. Man made millions and millions of dollars and he was miserable the entire time. I mean, as miserable as you can be. I've never seen somebody make so much money and be so miserable in my life. His vocation did absolutely nothing for him. And after probably close to 25 years of making millions of dollars in this vocation, he retired. And at the same time, hit rock bottom. Part of the reason he was miserable for those 25 years is he didn't know Jesus. He knew money, but he didn't know Jesus. And he learned money isn't satisfying the void. My vocation is not satisfying this void that I feel. I don't even know how to explain what I'm feeling. I just know there's got to be more to life than this. He hits rock bottom. He gives his life to Jesus. The man goes from living in a multi-million dollar house with a $100,000 Lexus to a $1,200 a month apartment and a $20,000 RAV4. And he and I have lunch almost every Friday. We have going back probably about four years when he was at rock bottom. The man goes from making millions of dollars before he retired and being miserable to now in retirement. He is a volunteer wide receivers coach at a public high school in South Scottsdale. And this man is more fulfilled than I ever saw him when he was flying all over the world on private jets. Why? Because after giving his life to Jesus, he found God created him to do something. He had a calling, not just a vocation. Here's what he learned his calling was, to help two types of people in this world. To help young men before they start making bad decisions, teaching them how to become a real man while teaching them how to catch a pass. And the second type of person God created him to help was people going through incredibly dark times who are reaching for anything other than God. They reach for sex, they reach for drugs, they reach for alcohol, they reach for money. He realized God created him to minister to those people. And just about every Friday, we'll sit down and he'll tell me a story about someone he's helping. And the look on his face, I can't even describe it. He had everything and was miserable. The world would say, he has far less, and yet he would tell you, I have everything because I've found Jesus, I've found my calling. And that's about as fulfilling as it gets to find Jesus and find your calling, what God put you on this earth to do. And the reason we've gone through this entire series is because I believe with all of my heart, God has big plans for you. He's had big plans and some of you have done some really big things, but he's got even bigger plans. He's created you to impact some people you haven't even met yet, but you need to be healthy in order to get there in every area of your life. 
I want you to get there because souls, lives depend on it. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you'd like to know more about Gateway Church, please visit our website at www.gatewayscottsdale.tv.